0: to Talking Ball brought to you by HP Poly I'm Nicola Hume we are back here in Milton Keynes talking all things Oracle Red Bull Racing now our next guest kind of cool guest really we have the Honey Badger himself it's Daniel Ricciardo <laughs> and also <laughs> it's former racing engineer termed group leader of simulation engineering it's Simon Rennie oh. thank you for coming guys thank you you are allowed to speak yeah yeah <laughs> How are you both? Good. Very well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah. We're good. I I um well yeah, it's uh firstly, this year's been really fun for many reasons, but working with with Simon again, you know, most most of my year so far has been been sim running. And uh that's just been myself, Simon, <clears throat> and uh another fellow, Jamie in a room. Locked together for like nine hours a day.
0: That's nice. It's Cozy. actually
1: really good. Yeah, we've, <laughs> we've able, been able to bond. We haven't bonded in a while, so it's been emotional for me.
0: I mean, Simon, so, so, mean, you've gone full-blown deadpan, very serious face-in. <laughs> is Simon it? to
2: a T. That is, yeah, <laughs> that's how it goes, isn't it?
0: Because you've, know, you've known each other for a while. Obviously, you were, you were working together back in 2014. That was when you first started working together, right?
2: Yeah, I think we also worked together... I think you did a test, didn't you, in 2013? That was the first time. When yeah. I, was, I was working with Mark Webber at the time and then Daniel had a bit of a go for, was it a young driver test or something like that?
0: I mean, you seem to have a, like a really nice working relationship. Is there also a nice sort of friendship relationship afterwards, like pop down the pub for a pint kind of friendship going on? Yeah?
2: Yeah.
1: <laughs> probably. <laughs> so, this is why like, people that maybe don't know Simon, they're probably like, I don't know, does does he actually like Daniel? He seems, he doesn't seem that excited, but that's, I think in a way why we, why we actually got on so well initially is cause he's like, he's quite like tough to crack. But when, when like you do, he's just, he's like getting a laugh out of Simon feels like you've won a race. So it's pretty good. Um, but we, we actually have a lot in common, you know? So, you know, when we were, when we used to be here together, you know, some sim sessions, you know, if we um, kind of, arranged our day well enough would maybe fit when we finished would go and do some like mountain biking together or or do some things together like that um so yeah we we definitely get on outside of you know the racing office as well
0: and i have to say it's it's very nice to have you back here at red bull because it seems i mean you've become a bit of a red bull legend then you sort of went off did a bit of driving elsewhere you know we don't have to mention them it's fine let's talk about the red bull stuff how does it feel to be back here where it maybe feels like home for you? Do you feel more settled, feel more comfortable?
1: I do. I really do. And, you know, that's, it's not even, it's not a knock on like the last few years or anything. You know, I was certainly, um, I think the way I am, I always try and, um, yeah, make a place feel as comfortable as possible. And, um, you know, I, I do enjoy working with people. So I, I felt like I've always been able to, To maintain a relatively good environment around me, but there's obviously levels to that. And this, this is certainly one that, yeah, has been like unmatched for me. And I think coming back into it, you know, kind of four or five years on, made me realize just how special it is to me and how much, yeah, like a lot of good memories and stuff. But yeah, just kind of that connection to, as you mentioned, like home, it's, it's a, it's quite a powerful word. You know, I think like a sense of belonging to somewhere or someone is is really strong. So that's that's what I feel. And, you know, coming back here as well, it was very evident everyone was so warm and welcoming. And um, yeah, it's as I said, like, even you know, like working with Simon, it's it's kinda like we just we got back, you know, we how do you say you got where we left off? What am I picked what's the word you I missed? missed picked up yeah. Yeah. <laughs> picked up where we left off? So that kind of feeling of familiarity as well, um, I think that's kind of proven that this place does feel right for me.
0: Well, here's the thing. So we had um, Christian Horner on the podcast and we spoke about you. I don't know if you listened. I hear that you're a massive fan of this podcast. Mm. Um, But uh, he was speaking about how different you were when you did come back, that when you were at McLaren, you had lost a bit of weight, you were driving differently. So did you just feel like you kind of, came back to Red Bull and you just set off running, felt like everything was back to normal again.
1: Yeah, like I, the the first day I remember like coming into the sim, I was, yeah, I was for sure very excited to be back, you know, here in Milton Keynes, but for sure I was a little bit, yeah, like apprehensive or a bit, uh, yeah, I you know, my, for sure like my confidence had been knocked about the last, you know, 12, 18 months and, um, yeah it's look when you're i think when you're trying to be the best in the world at something for sure you're gonna have it's you know ups and downs, and some days you're gonna think you're invincible and other days you won't so I think there was just a bit of a consistency the last little bit where um yeah i I no longer felt uh let's say invincible or, or awesome, but of course there was still a bit of apprehension in terms of oh, I need to I need to drive the car. I need to make sure that, yeah, it's it's everything I remember it to be, and uh, unfortunately, it was. And and then everything kind of just skyrocketed from there. And I I started feeling like myself, and even people around me, you know, outside of the racing world, were, were kind of saying, "These are their words, so I'm not saying I'm talking about this for myself." But they're like, <laughs> no, you're, "You're glowing, like you you look great again, like you look uh, a bit more weightless." And I'd put on weight. My aura was weightless. In a good way. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, So it's, it's just, you know, you go through, you know, the last few years, obviously I've gone through a few different teams and experiences. And as I said, I'll always, you know, try and make an environment work. But I think also stepping back into not only Red Bull, but working alongside someone like Simon, who I'd had such a good relationship with, and we'd had a lot of, you know, success together. It was all just, it just kind of flowed. Effortlessly, and I was like, "Ah, oh, this is this is what I need," and um, it's felt really good.
0: Well, it's—I mean—you've been working on the simulators and kind of helping out behind the scenes. So, take us through your kind of your day to day of what it's been like being the reserve driver for Red Bull.
1: Like, so it started with the simulator. You know, the first thing I did uh, in 2023 was a couple of sim sessions, and that was for sure just for me to get back into the groove and yeah, to learn the car, but just kind of get back into my flow. And then I, um, but I
2: don't think that was as easy as you thought it was going to be. Yeah, because I, I went while she were talking. I was thinking I was quite when he first came back. I was quite surprised knowing Daniel when he came back how he was. I didn't say this to you at the time. No, no, this is a good. This is a good. I was, therapy session. I, I,
0: yeah,
2: I don't deny it. No, he was almost like he was a little bit timid. No, well, yeah, you were a bit. You were definitely not as confident as I know you are. And you were just like a little bit hollow in a way and, and was, felt like you were doubting yourself a little bit and you were, you were a bit concerned about whether you could do it again because obviously you'd had good success with us and you, like the last couple of years haven't been quite successful. But, and, and it didn't necessarily click straight away in the simulator and it took you, that first day that we did together, I don't know if you left with a, a good feeling or not after that first day. You still seemed a little bit, unsure of it all. And then you went away, you had a bit of time off at home. And then the next time you're in, it was like you were already a bit more bouncy. Maybe you'd had a bit more time to think about it. you're a bit more like say halfway back to being yourself. And then we had a good day in the simulator. And I think you just drove it and naturally like you wanted to do. And it just sort of clicked a little bit and then the confidence and then snowballed and you built and built and built and then by the end of that day or the next day, you felt like, yeah, oh, he's back again, and it's more like a normal Daniel that we were used to from the past. But it was really marked the first time that we saw him again. He were a bit subdued, hmm. I say. I mean, but it's Christian, nice to see him back. Yeah, again Christian
0: now. said pretty pretty much the same thing. How does that make you feel hearing that from him?
1: No, it's it's good. Like, I mean, I in a way, I I don't mind hearing that at all because it also makes me feel a little bit better in a way about for whatever this call it the last year because um obviously my results weren't what I expected for myself what anyone probably expected from me and I think stepping out of that and having a bit of time off over summer and, and knowing I wasn't going to be racing this year so just having time to think about other things then obviously getting back in I became obviously people were aware and then I became aware of oh yeah okay I, I had I had lost a little bit of something, you know, in, internally. And, um, and he's right. Like the first day I was, yeah, still unsure and, and probably still some call it habits maybe from the past year was still there. So it, it, it took me a little bit of time to kind of start fresh. And, and I think that's why it took, you know, a good day to, yeah, empty it all and Find then go. Your feet. Yeah. yeah. And then kind of go, go from there. So, you know, I think as well, the older you get, the more, you know, as, as a kid, like, you know, I got into this sport at 22. What do you have to worry about at 22? Like you're, you're a kid, you're, you're pretty naive and everything. Like, as I said, you, you feel invincible and you do one good race or one fast lap and you're like, yeah, I'm, I'm the best. So, you know, I think the older you get, you realize that not everything is perfect and sometimes you will struggle, but it's, I think that's where I really have enjoyed the struggles, as much as they suck, you know, they, they really allow you to search for some answers and learn more about yourself. And whether that's through self-learning or observing how others have observed me and hearing, you know, how I'm being seen, I think it's all, it's all part of it.
0: So if you could sort of give a, give a message to Daniel of the past, what do you think you would say?
1: So, I mean, young Daniel was great because, yeah, didn't really think <laughs> about anything. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, look, I've, I've learned a lot. I mean, this year being, being off the grid for, you know, six months and being able, as I said, just to observe a few things and having the luxury of time and a bit more of a free schedule, I've seen things a little differently. And for sure, I look back now and I, I would say, oh, yes, like I should have addressed that sooner with say another team or I should have maybe pushed more for this or I probably tried to I probably just thought again this is this isn't a bad thing cuz it's self-belief but I probably thought I was good enough regardless of the situation the circumstances you know I was like well I'll figure it out like if I'm good enough I'll find a way and I'll still make it work but I think as well at this level you know everyone's operating on such a high level, frequency, whatever, that you have to, you can't just do it on your own. Like you can't, you might be able to like fluke it once or twice, but you can't sustain that over a 23, 24 race season. So yeah, just, um, just having the probably maturity to see things and address them and and not think, as I said, like that I am some wonder boy that can magically do it all.
0: So what's actually the difference between sort of engineering simulators and engineering in a race? Because you're still technically kind of been, you've been working together again this year, but it's been completely different circumstances. So how does that work together as a partnership this year?
2: At the the race event, it's all about that event. And you are trying to get the best out of the driver and the car in that event. So whether it be the qualifying session or the race event itself, but the, the whole thing is about adapting the car and working to suit the driver and trying to get the best out of that short-term event that is what's coming up in the next day. The way that we use the, um, the simulator, there is a part of that when we're looking at supporting the, the guys at the track around the races, but a bigger part probably is the longer-term development stuff. And we are looking for trends and problems that we see on the car that are um, become quite frequent, let's say, the work that we've been doing has been, I'd say, quite a lot of the longer term stuff. Stuff looking probably for next year's car rather than for each individual event this week. So that's a bit of a difference to to what I guess you've been used to, because when you've been racing, you've been probably just doing the next event in you you sort of you're just going from event to event to event, whereas we're trying to take a much longer term picture. Um and having somebody that's experienced and knows that the simulator is 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 an engineering tool rather than reality. Daniel's able to understand that when we change something, he can project, if we did that in the real car, how it would feel, what the pros and cons would be in different conditions. Um, Yeah, so he's he's been really valuable for that um, because the time that we get, and and when Daniel was racing as well, the time that you get in the simulator with the race drivers is really limited. They're very really busy. They're always flying all over the world racing and things like that. Whereas if you've got fewer races to attend, you can spend more time in the factory. So, and it's a bit more of, um, because you aren't worrying about the next race, you can spend so much more time looking in the longer term to try and help the team. And, you know, in, in six months or in a year or something like that is quite, a, I don't know how you found that compared to the, the race event preparation.
1: Yeah, I think that's, that's one that I've seen this year. Again, not not having <laughs> a race, you know, nearly every weekend. You've got, you can look so much further ahead. I've just, I've been able to see so much more where as a, as a race driver, you're simply just too occupied. Your time is spent on, if you're not racing, you're doing something else, commitment, or you're just trying to catch your breath and prepare yourself for the next race. So yeah, it's, it's very, a lot of the time it can just be very, yeah, like short-sighted so,
0: so, I mean, you've been, you've been helping kind of, yeah, help develop the car and help figure out sort of strategy and things like that when it comes to sim racing. But I guess d- uh, Max and Checo drive completely different. So do you kind of have to figure out how that would then work for Max, how that would then work for Checo, for then how that would work on track? You kind of have to attempt to drive both styles to kind of tick both boxes to make sure they're both happy. Is that how it works?
1: It's a really good question.
2: There is a we bit don't of that. Know the answer, no, but is no, it? it's good. It's, it's, good. <laughs> well, it's good. There is a bit of that. So but I don't think it's necessarily drive the drivers that drive the simulator drive in a different way to replicate each of the drivers. We they try to tend to drive naturally or what the way that it will work for them. But sometimes, if we are say we're working around a race event, uh, we will look at what both cars have done in the practice session we will then correlate and tune the, tune the car on the simulator to to give the same balance as it did on the track. Sometimes that needs little bits of tweaking of things here and there, but generally it, it's not that different. But what we are aware of is that if the drivers drive the same car, they might have different limitations of one might like the balance, one might not like the balance, but even though the car's the same. So we're just more aware that, things that we are testing are trying to push the balance in a certain direction, then that might be the wrong way for one of the drivers, but it might be the right way for the other driver. So I think we would be more, rather than getting our drivers to drive differently, it would be more the recommendations that we make to the track are targeted for one driver, the other driver, knowing that we've had a result that we've seen on the simulator, that when you listen to the driver's limitations at track, you know that, okay, this is going to be good for you you out like this. It, it's more the feedback that gets sent the other way is, is more targeted rather than the driver doing anything different on the simulator.
0: Uh, Daniel, what's your relationship like with Max and Checo?
1: It's good. I, I've, I've really enjoyed just being being there at the track and kind of, as I said, because I haven't been in a race seat, you know, I'm, I'm there with no competitiveness in terms of, you know, like normally your teammate is like your first competitor. So I'm just there, like observing both, trying to assist if I can also learn from them, you know, like no driver's perfect. I think we we can always learn um, from someone or whether it's driving, whether it's communication, there's always something, Um, tone of voice, all these things. So yeah, that's been really good. Obviously, Max, I, I, you know, was teammates with for quite a few years, and um, yeah, I think like I mean, look, we always had a pretty good time when we were teammates together and had a laugh. But I think even more so the last few years, we've we've got on um, really well, and I think as well, I I admire Max for, let's say, always I think his approach to racing, but also after the success he's had, particularly the last few years his kind of unchanged personality <laughs> mindset, whatever, like he, he hasn't really been affected by the success and it's easier said than done. And I, uh, you know, I think that's, uh, yeah, just certainly at this level, I think admirable. And then Checo, we joined F1 actually at the same, both in 2011, so we've had a, a very similar length career. And um yeah, it's been cool. I mean, I've equally I've I've had I've done a helmet swap with Checo. So I've I've always got on well with him as well. And I've just uh yeah, been excited to to see also how he's getting on with the team, how he's, you know, obviously Max is a very, very strong competitor. <laughs> so yeah, always kind of curious seeing, you know, where his strengths are and and where he's trying to find the time. And so that's that's really cool for me to kind of, as I said, see from, from the background. And I think as well, like, you know, before Checo got the Red Bull seat, there was question marks, like, is he, is he going to be on the grid that year? And, you know, so to kind of see him, um, I, don't want to, I wouldn't go as far as saying, like, resurrect his career, but to, yeah, to come back in, like, a big way, um, I think it's a, it's a cool story as well.
0: I think as well, I, I'm going to say this on behalf of fans, the moment that you came back, even as reserve driver, you can see the difference in Max and Checo, personality-wise, like on social media, because it's- (laughs) I
1: allow them to joke a little bit more. (laughs) Yeah, you're
0: you're seeing videos of them now, just really laughing, not that they never used to, but it feels like you've just kind of come in and you've you've thrown like a party bomb in the middle of Red Bull, and now they're just living their best lives, and they've had a major personality change since you've come back, which has come across really nicely, I think. How have you managed to stay race fit when you haven't been racing?
2: It, you know what? That was a big assumption. <laughs> that he has. Are you raised? So, fat is the question. Yeah,
1: I'm. I'm good enough. It's um. <laughs> look, after after everything that happened last year, I intentionally wanted to just let's say take some time off over Christmas because every you know for the past obviously pre F1 I don't know 17 years or something. You know, I'll get a few weeks off over Christmas and then it was like, okay, January, like get back into training camp and do this and do that. And, you know, so even I realized this year that even my Christmas holiday in the past never always felt like a holiday because it was like, okay, I might eat some cake today, but I know that's just now more work for me to do in January, for example. So you're never fully off, even if you might like act like you're off. I think there's something always in your mind ticking over, like, This is now more work to do. So I just, I really made a point to completely switch off. Um, I did nothing other than just enjoy myself for two months, really, with friends and that. And I'm like, I'm not, I'm still an active person. So, you know, I still like go out with mates and ride dirt bikes or, you know, so I'm not like sitting on the couch for two months. But yeah, I did like no specific training or anything like that. And you had cake. And I had cake. Nice. Lots of it. Um, But it was also, so that was... I also just kind of needed that for like just headspace and just to say like, just switch off and not have, not necessarily have like a target for anything just to, just to be a bit kind of chilled for a while. But then I got to like February and I was like, all right, I've kind of chilled enough. I kind of want to do something again. I said, I am naturally like just an active outdoors person. So uh, yeah, I just started kind of doing a bit of training if I felt like it. And then I started to just enjoy it and get back into the swing of it. And then obviously coming back on the simulator. And then I was told I was going to do the test in July. It's so, like, okay, I, I got to get my neck harness back yeah. out and start making sure my neck doesn't fall off. So yeah, I, I, I just built it up, but it was, it was always just like on my terms, which still felt really nice. And I was waking up in the morning and I was like, I want to train today. So it was coming from me and I think that was a big part of getting back on the grid is I want it to be something that's, you know, internally like screaming at me. And that goes from, yeah, the training, all, all this, you know, the, the motivation side of things. I, I was like, if someone's telling me to do it, I'm not getting the answer. So that's what happened naturally. And here we are. So I'm training again. I feel pretty good. Um, but I drove a car yesterday.
0: <laughs> Can we talk about that?
1: And. Yeah. Like, you know, you can train as much as you want. It'll help, but nothing can prepare you for an F1 car. Mm -hmm. Like in terms of there's nothing we can do that gives us, you know, five G's multiple times a lap. Um, so yeah, I am pretty stiff today. I feel like (laughs) I, I can move my neck. I'm not, I'm not like this yet. So but, um, we, we do have yeah. to
0: mention for those listening and for those <laughs> watching the, the day that we're recording this, yesterday you were at Silverstone, you were doing the Pirelli tire test, and yeah, you got back on the track, back in a race car for the first time in a while. So I'm not surprised that your body is sore. And also today is the day after a, a very big announcement yesterday that you are going back on the grid. Mm-hmm. How do you feel?
1: <laughs> um <Ready>? Physically or <laughs>
0: <laughs> but all of the things.
1: Um, yeah, I look, it's, it's been like slowly brewing this year, you know, my, my desire to get back on the grid. And, uh, as I said, like all these things, you know, that, that internal kind of motivation has, has come back. And I think the sim, you know, doing well on that was already a bit of a, a spark and I was definitely getting the feeling back. So I think getting in the car was kind of the last box I needed to tick to make sure that yeah, I, I not only could still do it, but still enjoyed doing it. Um, and I had a blast yesterday. Um, I felt like I got up to speed relatively quickly and everything I really wanted to get out of the test I did. So, um, yeah, then it was like, all right, mate, well, you're going to race in <laughs> less than two weeks time in AlphaTauri. So that's, that stuff also excites me. Like that's just, that's Red Bull, you know, that's how they operate. It, it, reminds me of how it was, you know, back when I was a junior driver and, you know, you, my first ever F1 race, you know, I, I got a call from Helmut a week before the race. Oof, and, really? And yeah. even that, I wasn't expecting it to be with HRT. Like, it was all just so – that's just how it is and it it certainly makes you feel game and ready and alive. So, um,
2: yeah, pretty stoked. One thing I noticed from yesterday was uh, – Is this positive or negative? This is a positive one. Okay, I'll listen. <laughs> it was – you couldn't really tell that he hadn't been in a car for eight months. Oh, wow. The, the first run, maybe on, maybe on the insulation lap, you were reminded how quick the cars were. But after that, it was within a few laps. It was just like, well, it's like, you had, it's like you'd driven a car last week, not last year. That was quite, I don't know if you were surprised about that, but I was quietly, quietly impressed about that. <laughs> I'm well, here's the thing:
0: my... you're going to be driving. You're going to be driving for AlphaTauri, which means Simon, you're not going to be his race engineer. So, do you have any advice for Daniel's next race engineer on how to deal with him?
1: <laughs> I might, I might, I might hide Simon in my suitcase and bring yeah. him just to,
2: just to uh, observe. There's nothing too uh, nuanced, really, or oh, that sensitive you need to do working with Daniel. It's pretty straightforward.
0: Oh, there we go, straightforward guy.
2: Uh, and I'm, I
1: like to think what I've learned as well the last few years and working in different environments. And so like being away from it for the first six months this year and just seeing a little bit more from a different lens, I, I feel like I can also take that like knowledge now into into back into a race seat. And yeah, um, I think I've just got more awareness, which will be good.
0: So here on Talking Ball, we have a thing called uh, 100 objects. So every guest that we have come in, will bring in an object or something that means something to them throughout their time at Red Bull. And I have noticed we've had this whole conversation while there's been a trophy sat on the table in front of me. So I'm assuming this is the trophy you've brought in uh, that means something to the both of you. Am I right?
1: Simon brought in the trophy. I brought in a Red Bull. Oh, yeah, nice. I haven't had free <laughs> I haven't had free Red Bull in a few years, so...
0: There's a fridge in every room here at the factory. It's awesome. So much Red Bull, <laughs> it's crazy. Talk, talk us about the emotions and everything behind the trophy.
2: This was a pretty good day in our uh, in our time together it reminds me a little bit of the bad day that we'd had two years previously where we were on pole position leading the race mm-hmm. and then uh, we managed to not quite deliver and win the race in the end so that, that was a sad day finishing second um, and you don't get it's really hard to win a race That is very hard. We are obviously winning a few at the moment, but so many things have to go right to be able to win a race. And I think that time in 2016 was a good indication that if just one thing goes wrong, then it's gone. Because everyone else is very good and everyone else is trying really hard to win a race. And you have to do everything perfectly to win a race. This year, 2018, was going very well. Uh, Through practice sessions and qualifying, we were quick. Stuck it on pole again, which was good, which is a hard thing to do in Monaco. Uh, and then the start of the race was going really well. We were looking after our tyres. Uh, we had learnt from the past and had decided that we were going to wait to pit from the lead when we wanted to, to cover the people rather than being uh, proactive, which was good. And then I think it was lap 28 of the race, it was. Daniel came on the radio and said, uh, I've got a bit of a problem. And uh, we basically broke oh, that we had a problem with the MGK, which is a significant loss of power that you get from the engine. But more than that is normally if something is broken, it normally is going to drag something else on the car down with it. And I was fully expecting within... A lap or two that the whole cow was going to grind to a stop because there was bits of metal going around in the oil and things like that. And it's that's obviously not very good. This is where it helps being naive. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh, this is a problem, but
1: I wasn't like, I didn't know it could have been as big a problem as that. Yeah. So,
0: oh. so it's so good. The panic Sometimes was ignorance with is bliss. not with Daniel. <laughs> no, I
2: don't think there was any panic. It was more of a, all oh, right, it was just a realization that, oh, well. one but we're going to just retire from winning this race from leading this race um and i think it took you a little bit of time to i mean you were driving well at the time and you were but when you lose 160 horsepower from your engine it's quite difficult to keep anyone, anyone else behind you and you had uh vettel not very far behind and uh over the next couple of laps, there was lots of discussions in the on the engineering channels about how we're gonna what we're gonna do to try and get through this and mitigate against it. Because when when the um, MGUK stops working, it means the rear brakes have to do a lot more work and they get quite hot. And normally, again, that would could also be a reason why you don't finish a race because the rear brakes cook. And anyway, we managed to do a few switch changes quite quickly within a lap or so, and then after that. I was almost waiting to just wait for Daniel to come on the radar saying, oh, well, his car stopped. But I think that because the brake bounce was quite strange and you were down on power, you had to adapt to drive quite differently in in those next two or three or four laps. Um, And then Vettel saw I had
1: a problem. So he was like in attack mode. So I was dealing with that and then having all of a sudden a lot of pressure from Vettel trying to capitalise.
2: But then, and then the longer it went on, you know, Vettel caught up quickly and he was all over him. And it, we were just waiting for the moment that he would overtake. After one lap, you think, oh, we got away with it. Two laps, oh, we got away with it. And then the longer it went on, we started to, and nothing broke on the car, we started to think, well, okay, maybe, maybe we might finish. That was my first thing. Or yeah. maybe we'll finish the race. Didn't necessarily think he'd be able to hang on until the, until the checkered flag, but, uh, you did. And the the car ran reasonably well, I think, because you you were had to sprint really hard in the corners because you were knew you were gonna be vulnerable on the straights. And the fact that we had a good car, I think helped out quite a lot because you were allowed able to make time through five, six, seven, eight, and then Vettel was normally all over you by the time you got to the uh, the swimming pool, she uh, turned ten. That last fifty laps after the after we had the problem was just most of the time was spent expecting us to fail, and there was a, quite a lot of relief and probably disbelief actually when we actually crossed the crossed the line at the end of the race and we won. It was a little bit of a, I think everyone who'd just been so pent up with emotions and you know all the engineers are very calm and talking about the problems and things like that, but everybody's feeling it a little bit that there's a little bit of a re- release when we uh, when we won in the end.
1: Yeah. I think like, and I'm sure like we were all thinking like, not again, you know, like another opportunity to win Monaco and Monaco is special. Like it doesn't pay any more points, but it's just, it's special. It's like, uh, yeah, like the Indy 500 from what my, my understanding is it's, it's still part of the calendar. There's no more points to be handed out, but it is just significant and winning it is something that you kind of keep forever. And, um, so I think that was the. That was just the thought, like, not again, like, what's, what's happening? Like, why is someone trying to take this from us? And, and then also then my concern was defending Vettel. And then as Simon mentioned, I had to corner faster. So all of a sudden now, like, the whole race i had been managing my tires and being smart. Now I've got to push on these tires for the next 50 laps. So then I was like, well, these tires are going to die at some point if I drive like this. So, yeah, there was certainly a lot of doubt. From many angles, so uh, when we did cross the line, it was just like, yeah, it was a bit surreal. Yeah. Like winning Monaco is surreal in itself, yeah. but after, like, people say, oh, "Was that your favourite race of your career?" I'm like, the outcome was, but I hated the race. <laughs> the races, yeah. no, it, oh, was, good. it was. It was dark
0: yeah i mean you uh, you earned that win, you earned yeah. it absolutely
1: yeah and and look, that's where everyone obviously give gives me the credit for the win and but it's that's where the team was like they also won it, and I'm not just saying, oh yeah it's you know it takes a team, but as he mentioned, like doing the break balance, like changing like giving me all these instructions to make sure that the, the rear brakes didn't catch on fire and all these things because at the time I knew I had a problem, but I honestly didn't, I suspected what it was, but I didn't really know what the problem was. And, you know, so I was relying a lot on them to give me this information. So it was also their, let's say, fast thinking, which helped us get to the line.
0: What I'm finding really interesting throughout this whole entire chat is how completely different the two of you are. <laughs> you're, so, you're so different, but obviously it seems to just completely work while you're working together. Yeah. I don't know. I, I guess I guess from an outsider looking in, you would just assume that you were just going to end up being completely the same personality, but you're really not at all, are you? It's, I, there's, still a video,
1: <laughs> there's still a video, sorry, in Germany 2014, where like, I think... <laughs> Anyway, but I was it was like <laughs> pra- practice two and I'm about to get in the car or it's raining and there's a bit of a delay and he's just standing there in the garage and I'm like doing this silly dance in front of him and I think it's hilarious because I <laughs> laugh at myself and my own jokes all yeah. the time and he's just, he's just Simon, just deadpan, just yeah. staring at me like get away from me <laughs> and I just found it hilarious. So I just <laughs> I was definitely drawn to his dryness. Yeah and his ability to just not be amused I never up until you know I was still pretty young when I was in 2014 what was I I don't know 24 25 years old so I'd never really met someone like him so I also was kind of fascinated (laughs) and I think that like that made me really warm to him as well I'm like you're in all the right ways you're very different and it was (laughs) it was great.
0: (laughs) Kind of, it kind of makes the dream too. It does. It makes it like opposites attract. Yeah. it's perfect. Yeah, I think
2: it's good. To, it's good to have a bit of variety. If everybody was the same, then life would be boring, wouldn't it? So that's very true. It's good to have a bit of variety. That's
0: very true. Right, we do have a whole heap of questions that have come in from the Oracle Rebel Racing paddock. So there's lots of fans that have got in touch with questions. So we'll go with question number one. Hi, I'm Nikki from the Netherlands, and I have a question for Danny and Simon, uh, and it is: What is your favourite memory of working together at Rebel? What's your favorite memory? I mean, would it be be Monaco 2018?
1: I think we should say something different because
2: we've talked about that already. (laughs) I think mine would be Montreal 2014. Yeah. When you won your first race.
1: Yeah. And that was special for both of us because also it was, was it your first time on the podium? Yep. I think that was where, you know, we'd had such a strong start to the year and that was already becoming like a breakthrough year for me. And, you know, in a way we could do no wrong. Like we were a points machine. We were just kind of, yeah, we were gelling and clicking and, and making things happen, but we hadn't yet won. And I think we got to that point where we, we both believed we could do it, but you need to prove it and make it happen. And that was, yeah, I think doing that was like also a big relief for both of us because we're
2: like, yeah, we can do it. So, it was quite a surreal day. That yeah, just in general, we we weren't necessarily going to win the race on pace, um, but we were there to to pick up the pieces when, when other people had problems. But yeah, so it was quite unexpected, I would say, at that at that moment at that track. And then to go on the podium as well was well, yeah, it was an amazing experience. And ironically, the problems
1: that Mercedes faced was the problem I had in um in Monaco, mm. twenty
0: eighteen. Okay, we're going to question number two. This is, I've got Roxanne. Hi, my name is Roxanne. I'm from the Philippines. My question is for both Daniel and Simon. For Daniel,
1: what is the biggest challenge you face in your racing career and how do you overcome it? And for Simon, how do you stay up to date with the new technologies and
2: techniques? And how would you think what the future of racing technology looks like?
0: Okay, so we'll come first to you, Daniel. So uh, what was the biggest challenge that you faced in your career?
1: I think it was probably the last yeah the last year or so, mm. um you know, going through the the struggles and the lows, and you know you' you're you become so used to having success or being yeah just fast and getting lots of pats on your back, and you're always gonna be you know, there's always moments of head scratching, but not a whole lot where there was a lot of head scratching the last two months, and you know, I think it was there was times where I would, yeah, for sure, let it get me a bit too low. But I think then I I really learned to adjust a little bit and yeah, just try to take some learnings from those. And I think that's where, you know, when you win, it's in a way it's easy. And all you want to do is celebrate, you know, you don't want to do your homework when you win, you want to go and enjoy the moment, which is totally fair enough. But it's, uh, it's when you don't, they're the days that you can, you know, really learn the most from. And I think not enjoying that feeling made me really hungry to to try and find a way to overcome it. So um yeah, I think that that was a challenging time for sure, but uh, I think it also made me learn
2: a lot.
0: And uh Simon, how do you stay up to date with new technologies? She was asking.
2: Well, I would say that within the the job and industry within in Formula One, because it is the Pinnacle of motorsport and the forefront of technology. Let's say, and, and and the rules are never the same. So, quite often we see some upcoming rule changes for in terms of the power unit or something like that. And and in a way, we have to because there are going to be some new technologies. We all have to learn about how these are all going to work. So, we almost get dragged or dri- dri- driven because we want to be competitive with those new new rules or technologies. We have to understand it. Also, you almost. Forced, or it's part of the job to to try and keep up to date with the new technologies. Because in in a year or two years or three years, we will have to be using them, and we need to be experts on them. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it, it, if we didn't keep up to date with it, then we would Another one. lose a lose an advantage. Uh, <laughs> You're taking a
0: pick out of him because his voice is broken a couple yeah. of times.
2: <laughs> it's, it's not a new thing. <laughs> It's not I a that thing. was another
1: thing that like broke the ice for us when we first started working together was <laughs> he would have a lot of these huh, moments and I'll just keep taking the piss out of him. and
2: but you like to call a so, stezza.
1: Yeah. Stezza. That was the Aussie term. That, I
0: was going to say, is that an Aussie saying? Yeah. Yeah.
1: What's, where does it, what's it derived from? A stezza. When your voice, heard, when it like breaks. I don't know, at school, like, yeah.
0: Well, get, so, get someone to Google it. When someone everyone's Google
1: voice it? was breaking, it would be like, oh, you, you, ah. you Uh
0: Question number three.
2: Hi, Danny. Hi, Simon. Um, my name's Pardipa. I'm from Derby in the UK. Uh, my question was, obviously, it takes a lot of mental energy and focus to when you're driving the car. How do you manage your emotions when, let's say, you, have, you need to retire the car or, for example, you have um, a bad pit stop that messes up your strategy? How do you find the focus to then just concentrate on, on driving again. And, and Simon, I guess, how do you manage that um, from the engineer's point of view? Because you know you've got a, an annoyed driver in the car and
0: you just need to keep them calm, I guess. Thank you.
1: That's a good yeah, question. Very good. Um, you know, it's... Uh, emotions are real. Like sometimes you, you can't help, but, you know, you want to let things slide or quickly move on. But, yeah, look, I think... It's always, you've always kind of got to think ahead and like big picture. It's like, okay, if I complain and lose concentration for the next two laps, that's two laps that I'm not going to get back. You know, if I lose a second over the next two laps, now it's a second more I've got to work for the rest of the race. So I think you, and again, it comes with experience. I know that, as Simon touched on earlier, to win a race, so many things have to go right. So I know there's always possibility for things to go wrong so I think you just have to in a way already accept that and know that maybe today things aren't going to go well but we're going to keep moving forward keep moving forward and, and kind of eyes on the prize so yeah that's that's kind of the mindset and I think it'll return you know if, if we have a bit of bad luck this weekend then maybe things will swing our way next weekend so you just kind of got to keep keep pushing forward
2: that, that bad luck might change within that race and Mm. it might go wrong for someone else. And if you've allowed a problem that we might have to affect your performance, then you might not be there to capitalize on somebody else that has a problem. So it's, uh, it can, things can change. If they change that quickly for you, they can also change really quickly for somebody else as well. Yeah. And in terms of working with the driver and get them to, uh, try and stay focused, I would say, uh, from my, my, my wife would tell me that telling somebody to calm down is not uh, the best approach. No,
0: cause... yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I Absolutely am calm. correct, yes.
2: <laughs> so uh, I think sometimes it depends on who the driver is, but when you're working so closely with someone, they are, you're really close to them, you understand them really well. So you understand when to talk them down or to talk them up and to how to, let's say, try and help guide their emotions a little bit. And that can be different with lots of different drivers. Some of them need calming down, some of them need picking up. Um I would say Daniel probably would I was always aware that he might get a bit excited in that moment, but it's not going to last for very long. And sometimes it's good to just let him fester and think about it and deal with themselves. Sometimes it might need a bit more positive reinforcement that it's going to be okay, but I you know, and, and we need to think longer term and things like that. But I think it's really important to be uh, realistic and believable because you can start saying, oh, well, you know, we're going to catch up anyway by the end of the race, even though you, and if, and if you don't do it, then you sort of lose a bit of credibility that you have with the driver. And the, you, the most important thing between the driver and the engineer is about having trust both ways. And if you, tell them a story that makes them feel better in that moment, but within the next half an hour, they realize that it's never going to happen. Then you sort of, you lose a bit of credibility. So I think you need to have trust and respect both ways that you are not going to tell them a story that is going to turn out to be false. And it was a false hope. Um, So sometimes you just have to take the fact that, okay, that bad thing's happened. We're sorry about that, but you just got to get on with it because it, is gonna, it might be that that has ruined the race. You can't always say, oh, well, you know, you might win at the end of the race or anything like that.
0: So We've got loads more questions here. This is from Harry in the USA who says, uh, Danny, how has being away from the F1 grid helped you recharge and renew your desire to get back on the grid?
1: It's two two things I would say is one is just less travel. So I've been able to just reset by not being on a plane every, you know, three days. So I've just kind of had caught up on sleep, basically. <laughs> yeah, that's nice. <laughs> we live a jet lag life. So um, that's one thing which just kind of my overall like well-being. I think I've just been able to re- reset and recharge a bit through that. Uh,
0: this is from Kay in the UK, who says, why are you called the honey badger?
1: So it started with, uh, it was during 2013 when I, I think I got the call up from Red Bull that i would be in that car in 2014. And, um, it was my, uh, my trainer, Stu at the time we were, he knew me really well, like as, as a trainer, you know, as someone who travels with you and you see them all the time. And he knew that next, like, so that next year was an opportunity for me to really step up and it was my big chance. And, and, um, he saw one of those viral videos on the honey badger and he he showed me and we had a laugh and he goes, man, I think there's something in this, you know, with, with you and everyone kind of sees the, the kind of let's call it cute and cuddly side, if you will. But you know, when his backs up against the wall, when, you know, something to fight for it, you know, it comes out and, and he goes, that's, I've seen that dog in you, so to speak, or, or it's, I've seen that honey badger in you. Um, So it was kind of like, I think this should be kind of like your spirit animal and I think it will resonate well with you. And and that was kind of the, a little bit of the mantra going into the 2014 season was like, be the honey badger and I'll show people that I can be aggressive on track. And because the perception was, I think that I was fast and I would probably qualify well, but probably wasn't going to race well. And, um, we turned that on its head pretty quickly. So that's where it came from.
0: (laughs) Nice. Okay, so finally we have the HP Poly Challenge. So they're our partners with this podcast, and they are the leaders in uh, voice and video. And they have sent us some audio. Now, this is a challenge that we've done with many of our guests, and no pressure. But when we had uh, Hannah Schmitz, Anna Groom, and Roseanne Elvin when they were on, they got four out of four. Uh, and then when we had Ben Waterhouse and Craig Skinner, they got two out of four. So it's going to be a montage of voices. Of people familiar, people that you have worked with here at Red Bull. I need you to tell me who those four voices are. And it's going to be played out of the uh, Polysync 20.
2: Are you this. ready? Here we go. They're quite small. It was the very first time for me. In mixed conditions, the expectations are fairly low. I got three out I of got, those four. I got three. quid it again? I didn't. I, I was not prepared. I mean, no but
0: pressure. But Hannah Schmitz didn't need to hear it a second time. She just absolutely nailed well, I, it on the first go. I, I game. didn't get the
2: second one. I didn't. I wasn't listening for the second one. I was. Yeah. I was so excited that I knew the first one.
0: All right, Simon needs to hear it again. Play it again.
2: They're quite small. It was the very first time for me. In mixed conditions, the expectations are fairly low. All right, well, first You
0: look
1: one pretty confident. First actually. one's Adrian. Let's go one for one. Adrian's
2: the first one. Kvyat. Uh The last one was Mr. Vettel.
1: Okay, then the third was Helmet.
0: Okay, so we're going for the first voice, Adrian Newey. Yeah. Second voice,
1: Danny Kvyat. Third voice, Helmet Marco.
0: Fourth voice,
2: Sebastian Vettel.
0: Is absolutely correct. We do have a clip to confirm that it is oh. definitely them. <laughs>
2: Quite small. It was the very first time for me. In mixed conditions, the expectations are fairly low. Uh, well
0: done. Four out of four. Uh, four out of four. Congratulations. Although I, I do have to say, the girls probably did a little bit better because they only heard it once. So,
1: if we're going for once, then we got three out of four. Okay. It was caveat we missed.
0: Yeah, fair enough. I want to say a massive, massive thank you for for joining us here on Talking Boy. It's been really brilliant talking to you, Daniel. Good luck with the rest of the season. Go Thank and smash you. it. I want to see some shoeys, please. Yeah,
1: that'll well, <laughs> yeah, be good. Simon, have I, you I, ever I, done I,
0: a chewy? Uh Surely you
1: have.
2: I probably have.
1: I can't, yeah, can't. You know what? I don't remember, but I feel like you would have.
0: You must have I done. I probably
2: have once when you've won a race somewhere in the, and you have brought a champagne back to the garage. I think I, I probably would like have.
0: You said earlier you went up on the podium together. Yeah, what but was that, that was 2014? Before, that, was, that was before yeah. shooies were a thing. Ah, pre shoey. So yeah. you're Jew a shoey?
2: I think I've done one. It's probably yeah. not, there's no record of it, but.
0: Was it I'm just sure in a, a random pub somewhere? <laughs> <or something>? <laughs> <laughs> I
2: reckon it was back in the garage. When like
1: I'd bring maybe the champagne back, yeah. I reckon we would have done one.
0: Oh, there we go. Okay, well, thank you so much for joining me. But we
1: should do one again. <laughs> if you know what I'm saying.
0: I mean...
2: Not now. Right. Not now. Right.
0: I mean, the Red Bull, yeah, it might stay in the inside of your shoes, whereas the champagne's a bit... <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us and join us next time on Talking Ball.